It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week for the past 75 weeks, I've had the privilege of hosting this program. I want to touch on where we are with the COVID-19 pandemic. And as the Tri-Cities area has navigated its way through COVID for the past many, many weeks, we have steered a delicate course of science versus politics. A year ago at this time, it was whether to move K-12 school to virtual, close down businesses and limit gatherings, drastically changing how we live our lives by requiring masks and social distancing. Now, all of us I know are distressed by how, how this has become so politically charged and divisive, and all I know is I witnessed a number of close friends and family forever p- impacted by the relentless power of the COVID-19 virus. Caregivers, nurses, doctors, therapists, housekeepers, incredibly supply chain colleagues, people all across the healthcare system who have been forever marked by this indiscriminate way COVID has invaded our lives. I've also seen family, friends, and fellow Catholic caregivers infected with the virus some of them fatally. Now, each week we've endeavored to be a source of objective information, and that is, again, our mission this evening. Later, we'll get the latest from the Benton Franklin Health District. But first, we welcome to the program Dr. Brian York, who is an infectious diseases specialist at Cadillac and has been a regular guest on this program throughout the past uh, 18 months or so. Dr. York, thanks for taking the time. I know we've shared on this program that the COVID hospitalization rate currently continues to be extremely high. Is that still the case as you know it at Cadillac? Yes, we're still at levels that are essentially records for what we've seen during the pandemic. Um, you know, we had we had topped out in the mid to upper 50s as a daily census of COVID patients back in the winter. And uh, we've been hovering in the 70s now for the last few weeks um, with seeing an, anywhere from five to sometimes 12 or 13 new admissions each day, uh, mostly from our own community uh, because we with the number of patients in the hospital, it's been more difficult to accept transfers in from from outside communities where in the past we often were available to, to have patients transferred in who needed care uh, beyond what could be provided closer to home. Uh, but most of the patients we're seeing now are patients that are coming in through our emergency department um, uh, sick with, with COVID, needing, needing oxygen supplementation and uh, support and help with breathing, uh, and then all of the medications that we give to help um, to get the disease under control. So at this point, and I know most of the ones that we're seeing are unvaccinated, and we'll get to that in a moment about the vaccine and and its effectiveness, but is that what we're seeing as well as the vast majority of patients coming into the hospitals, whether it's Cadillac or others around the region, they're unvaccinated? Yeah, we we have occasionally um, seen as many as 15% of the patients in the hospital unvaccinated. I'm sorry, vaccinated, vaccinated. Uh, most of the time, um, it's closer to five to 10% uh, that are vaccinated and the rest are all unvaccinated. And the other thing that we've noticed is that the folks that come in who have been vaccinated, uh, generally once they get started on uh, the treatments that have been shown to be effective, they tend to improve fairly quickly. It's very unusual for someone who's been vaccinated to uh, need to go to the intensive care unit Um to end up on a ventilator. And so generally that's all patients who are unvaccinated who have the disease progress to that point. And can you spend a quick second, just what kind of strain is that placing on the healthcare system, whether it's Cadillac or otherwise? 
Well, it's right now, it's the only thing we can really think about and talk about is how to manage the volume of patients. And other things that we are normally doing are having to be uh, put aside to maintain the capacity to care for COVID patients. And so, you know, it, you may recall that a year ago we had uh, suspended all elective uh, surgical procedures for a while. And fortunately, we have not had to do something quite so drastic yet, but it is something that may become possible if the COVID numbers get much worse. There have been some cases where we are selectively putting off surgeries if they can be put off for a week or two um, because we just don't have enough um, capacity to provide the care that patients need perioperatively. Um, for certain kinds of procedures, there has to be an ICU bed available because postoperatively the patient has to go to the ICU for at least a day or two. And so there have been times where those kinds of procedures needed to be put off because there was not going to be an ICU bed available for the postoperative care. Um, we've had to have our emergency department on diversion uh, a number of times when we got to a point where um, the ER was uh, providing care to patients who needed to be admitted to the hospital and there were no beds in the hospital and then everything gets backed up in the ER. And so they had to divert and tell ambulances, you can't bring people here because we do not have enough capacity. And uh, that's happened several times over the past few weeks, and that's not something that uh, I remember happening in the last uh, 10 years. So it's um, definitely been a strain on our resources. And I know one of the frustrations is the fact that the vaccine is available. And my next question, I want to turn more toward the fact the FDA has now approved the Pfizer vaccine. But just quickly share this, the rate of vaccination, uh, according to the state of Washington, the statewide rate of age 12 and older fully vaccinated is 64%. In Benton County, that number, age 12 and older fully vaccinated, 50%. Franklin County, 43%. Walla Walla County, 54%. Yakima County, 54%. And I know the Benton and Franklin numbers are among the lowest countywide around the state of Washington, and they've been running that way throughout the vaccine process. Where are you on this? What can we do to help people understand the importance of vaccine and, and help alleviate any concerns that they may have? Well, I do hope that the FDA approval for the Pfizer vaccine will help give people a added confidence in the vaccines. Uh, They have been given to hundreds of millions of patients in the United States and have been shown to be very effective at preventing severe disease and uh, that they are very safe. They are as safe as any other vaccines that we use on a regular basis. Um, The numbers in our counties, if you look at the breakdown by age, we're not that far behind the state in terms of people above the age of 65. I think, you know, Benton and Franklin counties are about 8 to 10 percentage points lower than the state rate. Uh, but it's in the lower age ranges. Uh, people between the ages of, you know, 18 and 35 in particular are dramatically lower than what we see around the state. And that is the majority of people that we are seeing in the hospital. We still occasionally have folks over the age of 65 admitted. Um, but, you know, a year ago the folks over the age of 65 were the vast majority of people admitted to the hospital. Uh, Now there may be a quarter and the rest are all below the age of 65, including a lot of people between the ages of 18 and 34, people who never thought they would be at risk of needing to be in the hospital from COVID. Uh, And unfortunately, once they're they're that sick and in the hospital, um, the vaccine isn't going to help at that point. And the treatments that we can offer in the hospital 
are are helpful, but they are not as helpful as preventing the disease in the first place by getting the vaccine. Uh, so that's why I, you know, I can't stress enough that every adult, uh, regardless of how healthy you are, there's no way to guarantee that that COVID can't make you very sick. Uh, the vaccine can significantly reduce the risk and uh, hopefully prevent hospitalization and certainly prevent uh, death to, to a large extent. We've cumulatively at this point only had one person in the Tri-Cities who was fully vaccinated uh, who died from COVID. Uh, the other, um, as of a week or so ago, 360 uh, patients who've died in our community were all unvaccinated. And so that's the message we need to drive home is that I don't think anyone should feel completely uh, invulnerable. And I, I think the vaccines are safe and effective for everyone. Visiting with Dr. Brian York, when we come back, I want to spend a little bit more time on the the vaccine and, and its availability and, and address some of the questions that people have about them. And we also want to talk about, in light of uh, those trying to get increasing vaccination numbers, what we can all do, the role that we can all play in helping to bring these numbers and lessen that impact on our health system. Uh, and we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, continuing our discussion with Dr. Brian York, an infectious diseases specialist at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And Dr. York, a, a couple of more questions relative to the vaccine. And I guess what, would, what I would like to know now that the FDA has approved Pfizer, I know that's one concern that we addressed mom, a, moment, a few moments ago. If, as you're counseling your patients that are still a little bit hesitant, what is your main message to them on some of these concerns that they may have? Well, I, I think... Uh, for each individual, you have to find out what the hesitation is caused by. Uh, and there are people who have uh, you know, made a decision that they're not going to be vaccinated regardless of what anyone tells them. And, um, you know, that that's very difficult to try to have a discussion about. But many of the concerns that people bring are things that they've heard through friends or family or something that they've read online and um, you know, the, the most common misconceptions I hear that are that are really easy to help people with is the notion that the vaccines don't work. And there's been a lot of messaging suggesting that the fact that people who can, who've been vaccinated can still acquire COVID and potentially spread it to others. And they interpret that to mean that the vaccine doesn't work when actually we've always known that um, the vaccines did not completely prevent people from potentially picking up the virus and having it present, it, just, it does help your immune system to fight it off much more effectively. And before the Delta variant came along, uh, it was it was extremely unlikely that someone who had been vaccinated could spread the virus to others. And we had studies that, that showed that. The problem is all of that information was coming around at about the same time that Delta first showed up in the United States. And when it first showed up here, we were just starting to see uh, what the implications were of the Delta variant in the UK and in Israel and in India. And so that information has evolved and changed over the past few months. So this isn't a situation where uh, people change their minds about something. This is a situation where 
as we've learned more about the Delta variant, which is essentially all of what we are seeing now, we are only seeing Delta variant. In Washington state, it's more than 95% of all cases now. Um, the, the amount of virus that is produced in somebody who's exposed is much higher than the original virus. It spreads more easily. And we've seen that people who are fully vaccinated actually fight the virus more effectively than people who had fought off the original version of the virus, which is why the vaccine is recommended for people who have natural immunity, because they will be better protected from the Delta variant. And we know that they need to have had both of their shots of the two-shot vaccines to have that full protection. And for people who are immunocompromised, a third dose or a booster is required to get them up to that level. Um, The recommendations came out not too long ago for boosters for immunocompromised patients, and now we're we're seeing that there's going to be a recommendation for boosters for everyone about eight months after their initial series. And that's not because the vaccines don't work, actually. If the vaccines didn't work, there would be no purpose to a booster. The reason is that the Delta variant requires much much higher levels of antibody uh, to be controlled, and we can get those levels of antibodies with full vaccination, but as the levels of antibodies in the system go away, a booster is required to maintain them at that level. And that is a very common uh, attribute of many vaccines. Actually, if you look at hepatitis B vaccination, it requires three doses to get the levels to where they need to be. Uh, tetanus vaccines are given as a series in childhood, and then you need a new dose of that uh, every 10 years to maintain your protection. And actually, if you have an injury that requires a tetanus immunization, if it's been less than seven years, they're going to give you a booster on that. So the idea that that requiring multiple doses or requiring boosters to get adequate immunity means the vaccine doesn't work is, is simply inconsistent with everything we know about vaccines that we've used for decades. And so, you know, that's a very easy one to help people understand. Uh, another big concern uh, that is heard is that we, we don't yet know if the vaccine is safe and uh, all of the side effects that are reported for the vaccines that that occur immediately, fatigue and malaise, some headache, arm soreness, are very well described in the studies and we we expect those and we actually advise people to expect those so that they're not surprised by it. The more serious complications, uh, anaphylactic reactions, despite the early publicized events. Uh, We've not seen very many of those locally. I don't think there was a single anaphylactic reaction that happened at our mass vaccination site out at the fairgrounds. We didn't have any uh, that occurred uh, when we were doing vaccines for employees uh, on site at the hospital. Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome is something that has not turned out to occur with statistical significance with these vaccines. And the Guillain-Barre Society has actually advised people who've had Guillain-Barre syndrome in the past from other vaccines They've come out and said it is safe for those individuals to receive these vaccines. And um, because the, the vaccines are not live virus vaccines, there's no expectation that there would be any side effects that could occur or complications that could occur uh, more than one to two months after receiving uh, the vaccines because they essentially are out of your system within a few days after the dose. And we've got hundreds of millions of people now that have received uh, their full vaccination series uh, more than a few months ago. So the, the safety record is actually very good. We have just a couple of minutes left, and I guess one of the issues that we need to address as we try to increase the rates of vaccination in the community as the Delta virus, con- uh, Delta variant continues to work its way through and cause issues 
what do we do in the meantime until we get more people vaccinated? We have school coming up. Obviously, people want to go watch football games and baseball games and, and go to concerts and the like. But w- what's your advice until we get those rates up to a point where we need them to be and where they can be most effective? Well, I, I know it's not popular and it's not what people want to hear, but we, we do need to go back to what we were doing last year with wearing masks when we're indoors or in crowded environments um, and trying to keep our distance from people and limit limit the number of people in uh, crowded places. The That's another example of something that uh, evolved as we learned more about the Delta variant. Um, because it spreads so easily, uh, we are back to needing to recommend masks. And the, the caveat with masks is that the person wearing a mask who chooses to wear a mask for their own protection may get a small amount of protection from that, but it's not complete protection. The real benefit is in preventing someone who is unknowingly contagious of COVID from being able to efficiently spread it to a lot of people around them. It cuts down on the likelihood that a contagious person spreads it to everyone in the room. So you really you get protection from the people around you who are wearing masks. And so if there's any benefit to be had from masks, we can only get that benefit by asking everyone to wear them when they're in crowded places around other people. And that's to protect one another. And I think, you know, my hope is that people can take personal responsibility for that to, to follow the, the guidance and to do that, uh, because it's what we can do to help protect people around us. And I can't stress enough that we are seeing people sick in the hospital fighting for their lives who never thought they would be at risk of COVID. And then we also have people who can't fully protect themselves because of weakened immune systems who who rely on the community as a whole trying to do the right thing. Not because someone tells us to, although right now we're in a situation where we've been told we have to do this. But honestly, this should be something that people do for their communities and do for their neighbors and friends and families. And so I hope we can see uh, people stepping up and um, wearing masks to help protect people around them. I have just one minute left, and I want to start finish where we started. And, and, I, and I pulled a stat earlier today. On June 23rd at Cadillac, there were 17 hospitalized COVID patients, none of them in the ICU. Yesterday, there were over 70 hospitalized COVID patients at Cadillac, 708 of them in the ICU. So I guess if that doesn't tell you, uh, what's your message, Dr. York? Um, these people have been at it a long, long time, going on 18, 19 months. Well, our our staff are amazing. I, I, I've mentioned it before. You know, I think people keep stepping up to the plate. And um, there there's no question that there is fatigue and frustration um, because it, it is overwhelming to, to just feel like there's a never-ending task, um, a never-ending battle with no end in sight. And we're human. Uh, all of us who, who come to work every day to try to help get people healthy and keep people safe, we're human. So we feel that fatigue and it does become more frustrating uh, when it's overwhelming because people have chosen not to do the things that can prevent a lot of this. If, if we had a, a 100% vaccination rate in our community, we would probably be back down to being around 10 or maybe 17 at the most in the hospital. And that's very manageable. Uh, but numbers in the 70s and 80s, as I said earlier, it takes a toll and it is causing us to um, limit the other kinds of things we can do because we simply don't have the staff. But 
but the people that are showing up to work every day and continuing to work on this are just amazing people. Um, everyone in the hospital uh, and everyone in primary care who's, who's trying to help their, their patients navigate through this. Um, you know, from the bottom to the top of the organization, everybody's doing everything they can. So, well, thank you so much for shout taking out to them. Absolutely. And thank you so much yourself for taking the time to be with us on such a regular basis. The information is invaluable. Dr. Brian York, infectious disease specialist at Cadillac, back with more right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program and back to the phones we go. And Heather Hill, Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, we heard... Uh, from Dr. York on the severity of the COVID situation at Cadillac and other area hospitals, the strain it's putting on the system. What's the key, what's the current case rates looking like for our region? Um, you know, unfortunately, they're they're continuing to be very very high. Franklin County currently is at nine hundred ninety one per hundred thousand, and Benton County is at nine hundred fifty five per hundred thousand. And one other time in this pandemic did we get over a thousand per hundred thousand, and unfortunately, I think we're we're probably headed to that severity once again, especially with some of the large gatherings happening, and honestly, people's resistance to wearing the face coverings that, as Dr. York said, are going to be key to getting us out of our current um, bad situation. That being said, he touched on and promised with the FDA now approving Pfizer and, and hope that, that more people will slowly bring those vaccination rates up. But as, as until we get those rates up, we have schools opening, as you touched on. There's there's different kinds of events happening, and the fall football season, sports seasons are happening. Uh, and again, these vaccines now don't take full effect until you're, what, two weeks after you receive them? And two of them require yeah. two doses. It's two weeks after your final shot, so if it's a Johnson & Johnson, you still have to wait two weeks. If it's a Pfizer or Moderna, you still have to get through that second shot and then two weeks later. So uh, vaccines are still part of the toolkit that we need to get on board to, to stop this pandemic. But at this point, we have to go back to those face coverings and the social distancing because vaccines aren't going to pull us out of it right now. And at the current rate of vaccine uptake, it's going to take us months at the current rate to get to where we need unless people step up to the plate and and get this vaccine. And, you know, with the uh, FDA approval just recently, we were hoping we'd see a, a sudden uptick, but we still have yet to see that happen. Certainly we're seeing a little bit of an increase. And um, uh, we're just going to need to see a lot more people coming forward and getting vaccinated so that in, you know, in the next couple of months, hopefully we can start seeing our case rates go back down as people become protected more from the vaccine. A year ago when we had high rates and, and concerns, high hospitalizations, we were also, we didn't have a vaccine, but we were also in where our economy was pretty well shut down, and I know schools were not in person. We are not to that degree yet as far as those, those uh, measures having to be taken. So is this kind of a 
almost a, a warning sign that we, we have to get this under control or these, these types of measures might have to be reinstituted. I hate to say that, but is that possible? Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to see us go back to the shutdown that we were in. And, you know, I, I don't even want to guess if that is going to happen. But I think what we really need to remember is our kids are going back to school soon. Those that are under the age 12 cannot get vaccinated yet. And when we look at what is happening in the states where schools have already opened and we see what how hard it is hitting that pediatric population, I think that's where... You know, the health district and our local medical providers are starting to get extremely concerned that we have not experienced that in the Tri-Cities, and until we experience it, is that what it's going to take to get people vaccinated? And we're in the, in the, the health district is in the prevention mode. We really want to prevent us having what's going on in the southern states with the pediatric population, and the way we're going to prevent that is to cocoon these kids with vaccinated people and people willing to use meticulous distancing and face coverings and being very careful of what kind of events you choose to go to with with you and your family. Because as soon as schools open up, you know, honestly, we're, we're very concerned about what will happen to those young kids. So in the meantime, as we continue to hopefully uh, inch those vaccination rates up, it's, it's the th- the same three public health mitigation measures that we need to adhere to. And and again, it's 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 something that I know people may not want to hear, but it's it's what we need to do at this point. Yeah, it's not a popular topic by any means, and unfortunately, in the world of public health, we don't always tell people uh, what they want to hear. But we use very good science-based, research-based evidence when we do make our recommendations. And just like Dr. York said, um, masks work. They just do. And there's plenty of research out there, peer-reviewed research articles that support how well these masks do work. And we just have to accept that fact and, and get through this so that we don't see things getting significantly worse over the next few weeks to months. And you touched on one final question just a moment ago, the the fact that the way this virus has been, and we saw it at the very early stages, it hit western Washington, you know, that wave before it worked its way across the mountains and hit hit the Tri-Cities area. And it's kind of what you're saying about this variant, that it, that it hits it at, at different parts of the country, let alone regions. And that's, as you mentioned, that we don't want to see what's playing out in some of these other states. We can avoid that if, we can, if, if it's not too late. Right. And when we look at not just how full Cadillac is, but when we talk to all of our hospital partners, the entire medical community local is suffering, and they're suffering greatly. And it's very difficult when you are trying to find a bed for a patient and you realize that this patient is going to be flown out of their hometown, maybe even out of their home state, to get the kind of care they need because we just do not always have the bed space necessary. And when you hear stories of patients spending their entire hospital stay Maybe in the emergency room, they never, ever get to get into a real hospital room because there are no beds. Um, Until you experience that personally, it can be easy to say, well, that won't happen to me. 
until it does happen to you or somebody you love, and you don't get to access them easily because they're at a hospital in a state or several states away from our home. And that's unfortunately the reality of what we're dealing with here. And we know that other hospitals are reaching out to us to see, do you have beds available? So we accept patients when we're able to from other communities, but quite often we're also searching for other communities for our acutely ill patients. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Again, uh, straightforward information, sometimes sobering information, but it's information that we all need to hear because that's the state of affairs that we're currently facing in our community. And and actually, to the point you just made, not just Catholic, not just the Tri-Cities, all across the country, the system is taxed. And so, uh, again, Heather, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. I'm sure we'll talk again next week. Uh, We'll be back with the remaining minutes of Catholic On Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And throughout the pandemic, the community in the Tri-Cities area has stepped up in so many ways, both individually and community-wide, and certainly from our corporate partners. And one of the key corporate partners of the Catholic Foundation in the Tri-Cities is Washington River Protection Solutions. And they have become the first area business in the Tri-Cities to join the newly formed Catholic Foundation Corporate Giving Society. And WRPS has made a $10,000 gift to the Catholic Foundation in support of its community health programs. And we're pleased to welcome to the program John Eschenberg, who is the President and Chief Executive Officer of WRPS. And John, uh, I know your your company has, uh, has uh, humans and people in this community that work for you and are part of this community and have been cer- certainly impacted by COVID. And I guess, is that kind of what this is all about, that we all have to rise together to, to take on this pandemic, whether it's the individual community members, but the companies like WRPS and Cadillac? Uh, Jim, a- absolutely. And let me just say, uh, thanks thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me a few minutes to talk about uh or what we do, um, not only in our day jobs, but why we're passionate about helping out the community. And uh, good evening to everybody. Uh, you know, for us, we're 3,100 employees strong. Uh, classically, we've, we've focused on things like uh, donating to local community colleges, to, to Washington State University. We focus on STEM education. We focus our efforts on helping out those who are down on their luck or otherwise underserved in our community. But, you know, given, given the, the implications of this national pandemic and the Tri-Cities area has been hit particularly hard, uh, our employees have all been affected. You know, I'm saddened to tell you that um, we, we lost our first uh, employee uh, over the weekend that was the first uh, death that we've had among our workforce, and it really hit us as a company and 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 all of our employees very hard. So we're very passionate about um, now shifting our focus, uh, expanding our focus as a company to focus now more on healthcare, and in in particular in support of Cadillac's foundation for for corporate giving. 
And so with that, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, our small donation in some way can really serve as a, as a spark plug to generate some, some more donations to help, to help with, um, you know, advancing some of these ancillary care needs within Catholic. And I can tell you, I know uh, during the course of the pandemic, uh, there's more than a quarter of a million dollars that through the Catholic Foundation that was distributed to help Catholic employees, uh, whether they are impacted financially or, or in some way through this pandemic. So those dollars are, are vital and valuable as you stayed. And, and you touched on WRPS's commitment to the education side, and I think there's a natural fit there as well, because certainly there are people that, through WSU, CBC, especially in this community, that are pursuing healthcare careers, and the, the, the financial support that places like your company provides really fits right into that going forward, because as we know, we need to keep producing doctors, nurses, and therapists, and healthcare workers. And, and that's why I think, you know, this, through your foundation, the, the offering of the health care scholarships is is so critical uh you know we all know that uh at least in in my line of work much of our workforce is uh is is aging they're in their their 50s and 60s we expecting what we call the silver tsunami where number of retirements coming up so we're really focused uh as as a company on replenishing the next generation of our worker and we see the problem no different than in healthcare. We have got to continue to enable um, the younger members of our community. We've got to enable them and provide for them such that if they choose healthcare as a career pathway, uh, we should be there to support them all the way. And as you touched on in your line of work, uh, highly educated people are required as well, and people of all different skill levels. But that education, regardless of where you are in the workforce, uh, there is opportunity for people to enhance their their educational skills, and that benefits everybody. It it, it does. You know, they say all all boats rise in the in the in the tide. So I, I'll just you know. Jim, for us, we are so passionate about giving back. Since since we've been on the Hanford site uh, beginning in early 2009, our company has, has been very blessed. We've been very fortunate. We've, we've invested $7 million uh, to community give back. Um, and, and now with our expanded focus in health care, you know, as we see health care, as we all know, you know, just aiding in the sustainability and quality health care really serves as a you know a, a, as a foundation or a bedrock element in our community, and no community can thrive unless we we've got sustainable health care, and that and and therein our passion you know outside of the pandemic that we're all dealing with here, quality health care is a significant attribute for all communities. Everybody wants it, not everybody has it. I do believe that the Tri-Cities is very fortunate to have a recognized leader through both Catholic and Providence healthcare systems, uh, leaders in healthcare, and I do believe that that's a significant 
significant uh, attribute for this community. Well, we appreciate the kind words and, and, the, and the great effort that you and your team put together. But as you touched on, I want to finish it back with COVID. And certainly uh, you touched on it. It has affected us all. And, and you said your company just saw it firsthand over the weekend. Maybe if you would, from your role as a community leader of a large company, I know there's this effort to try and get everybody on the same page that we need to rally together as a community and really get past this uh, pandemic and do that together. Do you have any maybe concluding words for our listeners tonight, John, from your view? Well, I, you know, as, uh, as we see it, um, you know, our pathway out of this crisis is through vaccination. And I think many of us were relieved to know that uh, the FDA approved one of the vaccines uh, this week. So I think that's a really positive step for all of us. Um, you know, we've encouraged our employees to uh, to deeply consider taking the, the vaccination. The Tri-Cities, probably one of the lower vaccination rates across the, the, the nation. Uh, I know we can do better, and I'm hoping now with the uh, the FDA's approval of the first vaccine and more will come, I'm hoping that uh, we can get a few more folks in to get vaccinated because this vaccination in one form or the other is, I think, um, a way out of this national crisis. John Eschenberg, the president and CEO of Washington River Protection Solutions, thanks so much for your financial support. Thanks so much for your wisdom and helping us tonight on our program. We appreciate the great work uh, that your team does throughout the year out on the Hanford site. If you'd like more information on how you can support the work of the Catholic Foundation, visit catholic.org slash foundation. Thanks to all of our guests, and thank you for listening to Catholic on Call. We'll talk again next Wednesday night.